When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boom, there we go. You know the music. You know what it is. It's Sunday night. It's the Leafs weekender. And sitting beside me, he's no unfamiliar face to the offside channel. It's Mr. David Morissuti of Locked on Leafs. David, how's it going? Good, good. I'm glad, uh, glad to be back. Glad you're back in the saddle, too. I know you went through a pretty pretty tough week, so I'm glad, to, glad that I'm around for when you're around, too. <laughs> yeah, everybody's back to uh, 100%, and it's great to... Uh, to have that now uh just want to do a little bit of a shout out to our sponsors boxing rock brewing co check out their fisticuffs absolutely great it's a rum barrel aged beer uh from our folks over at boxing rock brewing co check them out when you're out east and there's a little bit of rumblings they may be across canada very soon so those tasty taste buds may get to uh, try some of those boxing rock brews but ladies and gentlemen the leafs this week I know it was a week ago, but I did say the Maple Leafs would be 2-0-1 this week. And boy, oh boy, did it take every ounce of time, and we'll get to that in a minute. But David, what are your thoughts on the week that was for the Maple Leafs? It was going to overtime. It was going to shootouts. But they're picking up points along the way, which seems to be lost on a lot of people. Points in all three games this week. So I'm not 100% upset. Obviously, a lot of people wondering about this overtime stuff. Like I said, we will dive into that, but give me your uh, gut feeling on the week that was for the Leafs. They just wanted to give their fans their money's worth. You know, we got, we constantly hear that ticket prices are expensive. All right. We'll just give you 15, about 15 extra minutes of uh, hockey in three games. All it was, you know, <laughs> just a little extra to, to make you feel good. It's the holiday season. They're giving, giving their fans what they want, which is more Maple Leafs because obviously yet again, the Maple Leafs now have a five-day hiatus, including today. They do not play again until Thursday against the Senators. So they get to take a little bit of a breather and regroup, and hopefully Mark Giordano will be back with this team. But that was a loss this week the Leafs took, uh, was their blue line kind of getting dinged up. But um, I look at this week and I say, hey, there were a lot of people that were saying Florida was going to take that game, and the Leafs were able to get it done. In a shootout, Paul Maurice had to bite his tongue and – you could tell he really wanted to say a whole heck of a lot. I want to ask you on that double touch. Do you feel it was an actual double touch or just simple, hey, he was there, momentum carried the puck, and I don't know, man. He didn't really have a shooting motion. He was still in the same motion he was originally in, so it's not like he rewound up or you know flexed the wrist or anything. So I'm wondering if there might be a little tweak on the rule for that one later on. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure any time, like a situation like this doesn't happen very often, right? No. So uh, something like this will definitely be evaluated going forward, especially because the Leafs are involved. That's um, exactly it. But like, yeah, I mean, you only get one attempt at it. And whether he, 
you have to wonder would the puck go in if it didn't if it just went off the stick right it's tough yeah. to really know when you slow things down it's really tough to really gauge the intent of the play right like yeah. whenever they slow down any sort of review you also have to remember what the ref's call is like in real time and things like that and so with that play in spe- specifically i didn't really check too much about the stick and what the stick was doing but more so like wool made the save yep sit out and then a on another technically another attempt that went in like the, the rule for shootout is pretty clear you get one attempt and i think it's right that you don't get it like once the goalie makes that save the initial save yeah the initial save it like no other way should it go go in the net right it's because it's really tough it's it's it, i i would like it if it's just cut and dry like that yeah, yeah. one attempt on in and you can't score like because technically every show then the player should get another attempt at it if that's the case right if, as long as it but that's the rules like that in place for a reason right goalie makes a good save and the player doesn't get another attempt it's a one time one one attempt whether well, it's yeah. a rebound or anything rules we got to have rules right that's what paul right. marie said thank god for rules um but i think about like this what about the con- continuous motion rule um, where they rule sometimes on the ice where the puck would have continued through after the whistle at certain different points. I'm thinking of if a player shoots the puck, just per se, comes in, same, same play here, but the stick isn't involved. But he shoots the puck, the puck hits wool, but then hits the player and goes back in the net. Is that still considered a double touch where no one's moving out of the motion? Everything is still one continual motion. That puck wasn't reshot. It really just ricocheted and went off the player in front of the net let's not forget that in a shootout the puck always has to be traveling forward that is true i guess the determination on that little right. tap tap play too was the puck did come back and go forward to go back again well, once a player so, yeah. goes forward he can't he can't bring it back he has to, the puck has to stay in a forward progression so really in a lot of ways that's another thing you have to consider with the shootout is yeah you, you don't get those second opportunities because you're not allowed to, the puck's not allowed to go back then up again no, it, uh, you know what? You're right. It's pretty cut and dry. There's a, I'm trying to Jeff Merrick it here and oh, try man. to find a way, you know, maybe the player flies over the goalie and continues the puck motion or something. But again, we'll, we'll see some crazy stuff, but I do think there will be more explanation, shall we say, for these type of things going forward, because obviously Paul Maurice didn't think it was right, but it definitely was the right call. And then we, uh, we got the Seattle game where the Leafs looked like they were comfortably in charge and the defense kind of just went to sleep, which um, to me is completely unacceptable. And if it wasn't for Joe Wool, I don't think they would have even rescued a point out of that Seattle game, let alone two. Um, you know, a lot of people saying, well, he shouldn't have let those two goals in. Well, we all have to remember that a shot on goal is a failure of the defense. The goalie is your last line of defense against players messing up or pucks going by or whatever you want to call it. So that right there to me, Joe Wool made some 10 bell saves to keep that game where it was and during the overtime and during the shootout. So I don't know. I look at the Seattle game and say they were lucky to escape with two points. Well, yeah, you have a, you have a lead. You should protect that lead. And part of protecting that lead is not saying, all right, Joe, you got to stop clear cut chances on that. It's one thing if it's a shot on goal, it's another when the guy has 
all the time in the world to pick where he wants to shoot it. Yeah. And that was my issue with the goals, right? Jared McCann, he could have had a coffee by the time he finished scoring that goal. Yeah. There's no one with no one challenging him, no one trying to you can't allow those 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 opportunities, right? Like the Chicago game kind of remind me of that where it's like make it hard on them guys. Like show show that you want to you want to win this game. The Seattle one, yeah, they start off the period really well where they were there was pressure. Yep. And I said, you know, they're not converting on these chances. This is not good because then it's going to come back the other way. And eventually Seattle is going it, to, it, all it takes, you can have all the momentum, you can have all the, you know, chances and all those things, puck possession. All it takes is one shot for the other yep. team to score. Right? And you cool. saw a lot of that in the Boston game too. A lot of chances. They were all over the Bruins net zone. But I mean, a lot of one and dones in a lot of way. But as Boston showed, one one opportunity, all it takes to put them up by one was Pasternak goal was just one opportunity. Just mm-hmm. got the chance and the shot went in top corner, beautiful. Obviously, past the type goal. But I look at that Boston game, and you know, I said it last night after the game. A lot of times in games like that against Boston or a team that was one the Leafs were trying to punch up to, so to speak, they would wilt. They would go down in that game, and it would just be basically almost going through the motions to get the game done. There wasn't a lot of pushback. There wasn't a lot of extra jump in the step. Once they got down, it was kind of shoulders went down, heads went down, and the mo all went to the other team. Not last night. Last night, they kept trying to battle. They kept trying to get chances. That Domi goal was beautiful. Matthews coming through clutch with five seconds left. But in overtime, it seemed like all of that hard work was for naught. And I'm sorry, I got to pick him out. And I defend him all the time. And it's John Tavares. He just watched that play. He did not get back. And there's no sugarcoat in it. He just didn't do anything. He was hoping the puck was coming to him, took two strides and watched it all develop. Like he couldn't do anything. When he really probably could have got in there, maybe... Maybe got in the way. Maybe pushed the guy out of the way. Lifted a stick at the last second. Who knows? But we'll never know because he didn't get back there to do it. And that effort right there is what kind of cheesed me off about last night's good effort through the first 60. And Joe Wool in overtime, man, he was keeping them in it again. That goalie, I don't care what anyone says, he is the future for the Leafs. Hands down, in my opinion. I went into the season saying it would not surprise me if this becomes Joseph Wall's net because in a lot of ways, the Leafs set themselves up for a succession plan. Samson's on an an expiring contract. We know what expiring contracts are like for Leaf goaltenders, right? Joseph Wall signed here, right? He's he's locked in, right? And so you got to see what you have in them. And what I've seen, the Leafs are a more competitive team with Joseph Wall there's just a comfort level that you have yep. with Joseph Wall and that versus Ely Samsonov. And it's a lot of, I think, you know, Samsonov is, is it fair to him. They hadn't played well in front of him, but he, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, trying to prove that he's a number one and wants to get that long-term contract. Right. And it yep. hasn't really worked out for him, but to go back to that Bruins game, what annoyed me, two things annoyed me about that. One was yes, both of ours and Neander. N- they were nowhere to be found, right, on that play. 
And I guess Riley thought he had some help. Otherwise, Riley shouldn't have gone and followed past knock into the corner because when yeah. you do that in three on three, you have to know that someone's covering. Otherwise, you can't just be in no man's land, you know. No, leaving a guy wide open in front of the net yeah. like Marshawn. Why Marshawn of all people, too. But what annoyed me on top of them not coming back is there's eight seconds left in that game. Why are you attempting a line change with the Bruins having full guys on the ice in the neutral zone and you're attempting a change? Explain to me how this team is the only, one of the few teams in this league that cannot figure out how to do a line change Ooh. properly, right? And, and the worst part about that is, is eight seconds left. Nylander decides, you guys go out for the change. I'm going to escape this puck into the middle of the ice where there's Bruins within vicinity. Shake, you know, all this, we've seen this many times where the guys will say, skate it backwards, skate yep. it back into your zone. Nope, he cuts to the middle of the ice, gets hit, loses, blows a tire, and that's the game. And the fact that it was eight seconds left in the game, that's what really annoyed me. And it's not the first time the Leafs have decided to do a line change with seconds left in the game. Like, what's that going to – what are you going to do with eight seconds left, really? Like, you could try something on three-on-three. Three. Most likely, unless you have someone, you know, ready to take advantage and go on a breakaway, which in this case they had Nilan and Tavares on one side. They were only really changing uh, Riley for McCabe for Riley in this situation. I don't know what exactly the Leafs were hoping to do with that play. It's me. That's partly the players on the ice's fault and also on Sheldon Keefe for not recognizing the situation. Well, if you're, you're the bench boss, right? What's that word, boss, right? You're supposed to be the one to dictate what happens there. And if a guy's coming back, you can yell to them to stay on or see the play as well developing that's in front of you and be able to tell players, do not change or scream from the bench. Whatever you need to do, you've been doing a lot of yelling lately, so just keep it up. But yeah, for whatever reason, that was ridiculous. And the William Nylander thing was just careless. It was not paying attention in a pivotal moment of the game where you were on the ice. And he's been so, I would say, disciplined with that lately. You know, that now this happens and we're like, wow, that's old Willie Warts coming out right there where – you know, just the, the the aloof play is what we'll call it. And it costs him. It costs him big. And then doesn't hustle back. Like, boys, hustle back. Figure it out. And again, Joe Wall makes a beautiful save on Pasta, but he's way out of position and no one's there to help cover him. And yeah, I think... He almost gets back too, but it's like... Yeah, he shouldn't have to do that though. Imagine Joseph Wall's reaction. He's like, so no one's covering Marshawn right now after... <laughs> Like, really? Like, yeah. Marshawn wasn't even really in the play right away, right? Like, Pasenak was on the clear-cut breakaway. Riley does his job in getting him. Marshawn's joining later in the play. And that's the part there. Like, it wasn't like it was a two-on-one. It was a, a clear-cut breakaway for the for Pasenak. And there's Marshawn coming in. And he's like, oh, I'm really going to be all by, all by myself here. And, and takes his time, right? Knocks down the pass. And it's in the net. Just un- it's it that was a very like it, it as you said it's frustrating way for a game where I thought the team put forth a really good effort. Yeah, it's one of those efforts that feels like it's almost wasted. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting there and you think this is going to be a game. The Leafs have come back. The momentum's in their favor. It looks like last five seconds you score. Okay, these guys are juiced up and ready to go for overtime. And 
yeah, the chances were there here and there, but that that one last effort just wasn't there. And teams that win have that one last effort, that one last push, hurrah, or whatever you want to call it, to either keep the game where it is or to put the game away. And that's what Boston did. But we'll move on from the week that was. We'll go to the week that will be for the Leafs. Only two games, as we mentioned. They start off on Thursday, Battle of Ontario. I see these guys wanting to come up for this one and really atone for the loss that they were handed last time. And that was really before they kind of turned a corner and started earning some points and getting things on the roll. Uh, And then the Preds. I think they really want to stick it to Ryan O'Reilly after what happened last time they played the Preds and really set a tone there too. For me, I'm looking at both these games as games the Leafs want to kind of, I guess, get back for the ones that they've lost already to these teams. And I think they're going to go 2-0 with this one. And I think you see Joel Wool in both games. I do too. And, and look, I do think the Leafs have a back-to-back coming up eventually, right, in their schedule. So I know some people are wondering when eventually will Samsonov get back into the net. I think they, they do have a back-to-back the following week, not this week, the week after. Samsonov will get back into the net. But I think right now you run you you have to see if Joseph Wall can handle this type of workload. I know in today's NHL teams, try to do more of a rotation to keep both guys fresh. You ride the hot hand right now. You have a lot of days off right now between the Saturday game and the game against the Senators, as you said. This is a perfect opportunity for you know Joseph Wall to see how he bounces back from a loss. They really yep. haven't seen Joseph Wall get the start after a loss. How does he, how does he how does he bounce back from that? And I think that's I think more important than saying oh, but now we got to get Samsonov back in that. Now it wouldn't surprise me if Sheldon Keith decides to put Samsonov into a game because you know he's also one of those coaches that doesn't like to see a goalie sit for too long. But at the same time, I think he owes you know owes Joseph Wall, who's been playing really well, those opportunities to continue playing. No, I fully agree with you and. I do think as well the lineup will uh, will be in flux, shall we say. I think that fourth line will be changing uh, with Reeves coming out of the lineup. It doesn't seem like he plays a whole lot in the third period, and if you can get a body in there that can play, either Steves or McMahon or someone who can really just put a few extra minutes in there with Gregor and Camp, I'd really like to see that. Um, as well, the defense. I think there's been rumblings you know, of Lilligren skating. Who knows how far away he is? We don't know the status of Giordano yet, but I do think you will see hopefully Gio back at least in the lineup, which will push Lagasin or Benoit out. Um, but there's lots of rumblings and moves, and we'll talk about that here soon. But um, with these games this week, are we hoping the Leafs can get things done in regulation? And I ask that because there's a lot of extra hockey, like we talked about, happening for these guys. And, you know, eventually that will wear on a team playing extra hockey. Uh, But the Leafs, again, right now have a nice little time off. So maybe that's why they gave us so much extra hockey. But is there any concern in your books of going to overtime almost every night or a shootout and really extending not only the game, but also the way Joe Wolves have to play these games, extending Joe Wool as well in his young NHL career? I'm not too worried too much about Joseph Wool, but I am concerned about the mindset in the third period. Yes. No, when you are leading a game... The mindset should be with no, there should be no doubt that we're winning this game. And that hasn't happened, really. When's the last time the Leafs go, went into a third period and ran up a score, right? And said, this game is done. There's yeah, no way we're, we're going to lead, right? 
and that to me is the bigger concern. That's that to me. Yeah, you know what? You go into the, the a game like Saturday. You you are you were praying for an overtime game. Yes, right. But in games that you're leading, right? The Kraken one was a perfect example. That should have been a game that you put to bed. Even if you you held that three one lead. Personally, yeah. that's not the Leafs style. The Leafs are not that team that's going to hold a lead for twenty minutes. Yeah, that goes back to well, I think the. Uh the defensive structure of this team mm-hmm. and the players they're deploying on defense. Exactly. We'll get right? that here too. So you got your, you're built the specific way. Your, your team should be built around. All right. We got a, we got a lead. Let's make sure that our best defense at times is our offense. Now we got to be responsible about it. We can't be cheating for offense and putting ourselves into odd man situations. But in, in this, in that situation, that, that game should not have gone to overtime. Um, you know, even the Florida one, yeah, they had, they were down and they had to find a way to get that goal and, and, you know, send that game to overtime. But for a lot of that game, like there's an opportunity there, right? I know that the record is good right now in one goal games, but you got to find other ways to win. And like I look back to that playoff game against Tampa last year. Or the you know in the playoffs where they just they had a big lead and they didn't relent and that game was over. You knew that game was over because they they kept pouring on. That's what the that's what a good contending team does. They either shut things down, which in the Leafs, as I said, that's not the Leafs style. And some will say, "Oh, you're running up the score." No, it's not really running up the score. It's letting the other team know that there is zero chance. That you're coming back into, you're going to be coming back, making a comeback in this game. Well, that's the way it needs to be. I've always been a big proponent of teams putting, I don't want to say it like this, but putting their foot on the neck and not letting a team up off the mat. And, you know, the Leafs have not been a team to do that. And when they do do that dance where they are able to hold a lead, it's so weird because all of us in Leaf Nation celebrate it so hard. Like this team is turning a corner, but it doesn't keep happening. And I really think that it does speak to what they have on the back end. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Before we do, I want to swing it over to our friends at DraftKings. Uh, they partnered up with the Hockey Podcast Network, and we want to bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbooks. Maybe you want to bet the Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators game, the Battle of Ontario. We'll check that one out. Download the app now and use the code THPN. New customers get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey, that's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for your problem gambling. Call 888 9777 or visit ccp.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. The NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights are reserved. So use the code THPN 
from our friends at DraftKings. Get in on the action and bet, hey, the Maple Leafs and Sens. I'd take the Leafs to win by at least two. But, hey, go do your thing. We'll see what you get when you bet with DraftKings. So spin it back to the Leafs, talking about Lags and Benoit, deeps and depth. These are guys I think the Leafs would actually go after, um, sort of speak, at the trade deadline to bolster out the blue line. Lagasins look good. Hasn't looked at a place, in my opinion. Same with Simone Benoit. They knew what they were getting when he came. He came to training camp and told every reporter, I have a chip on my shoulder from them letting me go over in Anaheim. And he really wanted to set the tone this season. And I think he has. He's pretty physical. He does the right things, plays the right way. And I look at it like this for Lagasin. He's a guy that, hey, has came in. There was no expectations. They wanted to see what he had. Did well in the Marlies, came up, and now done well with the Leafs. Playing good minutes, but also is physical. Also gets in guys' faces and doesn't shy away from trying to break up a big play. So I want to think for you, the depth the Leafs have here with these two guys. I know you always want more. But these two guys right here have really shown that they can step up not only in a pinch, but also move up the lineup so far when things are going wrong and they don't look overly out of place. Are there going to be mistakes and warts? Yes, because they're fresh to this system and they're not exactly aged vets either with time on ice in the NHL. But they've actually been pretty darn serviceable. Yeah, especially Ligason, right? You know, He's a, he's a guy that has NHL. Like what I liked what the Leafs did with their free agent moves is they got guys with NHL experience to be their, you know, six, seven, eight guys, right? That that's what you need. And for them, like for for Lagason especially because he's been playing in the top four, um, you know, I think that's a good thing for him to show that he is capable of doing it. Obviously, it's not something you want to see them do long term. Benoit, you know, like he's 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 not flashy. He doesn't have to do much, and and that's important for your third pairing. You just want a guy that's not going to go and, and try to be a hero on the ice. And I think that's something he understands. You know, it's better to have your name not be mentioned, right, as a defenseman. So he's he's really done that. So yeah, th- does it make you feel better knowing those guys are stepping up? with your blue line as banged up it is as it is. Yeah. You know, it was similar, it, it almost done a similar thing to last year. Well, I mean, last year they went with younger guys like Lilo Grant and Sandine and made them more prominent role uh, players in the lineup. But I also think that once in a while you have to trust your depth and that's something Sheldon Keefe hasn't been as willing to do. And yeah, he's going to ride Riley McCabe and Brody. I get that, but it gets to a point where eventually those guys are going to start to feel the fatigue and you have to be able to lean on your other guys. So it's, it's nice to see that they're, even if they're not getting a lot of opportunity, they're not making glaring mistakes and you're not constantly, we're not hearing after every game. Oh, how much longer can they survive with this blue line struggling? Like it is, that hasn't been the story. I think, yeah, there's the there's the constant need to always upgrade and fix the blue line. That I mean, every team I think would love to upgrade and fix their blue line, the Leafs especially. But at least they're not making themselves a story that they're not able to handle the extra duties that are being thrusted upon them. So I, I haven't minded them as depth options, but at the same time, you also have to understand that they're their depth options. And there's like they're probably playing to their limit. Like they're not, I don't know how much more they can give you than what they're giving right now. 
yeah, there's not a bunch more you can get out of them, but it's good to see that you can squeeze a little bit more out of them in a pinch. And the Leafs have been in a pinch, obviously with Lilligren down, Giordano down, and Lipman Klingberg not being available as well, which um, I believe we're supposed to have clarity by the end of last week, and there was nothing said. So I really still think and he's going to be on the LTIR for the rest of the season, um, which leads us to our next segue point here. Um, you listen to Elliot Friedman. Apparently the Leafs were at the doorstep of getting Tanev and Zadorov, but it just came down to the teams not being able to figure out the money part of things on retention and what that was worth. So the Flames knee-jerked and sent Zadorov over to the Vancouver Canucks. And now it's still out there. The Leafs are very interested in Chris Tanev, which I would love to see him on the Leafs, by the way. But I'm also wondering, is that the only move? And here's my thing. I want to let a lot of people hear this because I said it a couple times, but maybe not on a podcast. You're going after a guy like Zadorov. He is not going to be a 2-3. He is at max a 4, 5, or a 6. He is not a top 4 guy constantly. And a lot of Leaf fans need to get that notion out of your mind. Because my thing is, if you're going to spend the very limited, finite, amount of cap space that you have on acquiring a guy and then not to mention ask a team to retain which is going to cost you even more assets you're now burning the cap space and the assets to acquire a guy like Zadorov which is going to be a four five or six four at its best in my opinion do you want to use all of those assets to get a guy like that or would you rather use those assets to find a way to get a Tanev or maybe a Dumba or someone who else can fit into this lineup, a Murphy, um, that could really fit work with the Leafs group that is a lot more polished, shall we say, than uh, Zadorov. Because to me, you only have limited amounts of things that you can do. So if you spend all of that on him, and Leaf fans, you're all, I know you're upset that we didn't get that guy because everybody wanted him, and his agent treated out, got to get Maple Leaf tickets. You know, this is not the be-all, end-all to me. You have basically, I'd say, maybe one swing right now. And that one swing really has to set you up for the rest of this season going towards the trade deadline. And if you get a guy like Tanev, then you have Riley Tanev, maybe McCabe Brody, and then go down Geo, Lily, Lags, Benoit, etc. And if you're lucky, maybe the deal that you make here, you still have a little bit of that LTIR room to bring in maybe someone lesser but still better than Benoit and Lagesson be on your bottom pairing. Those are just my thoughts on it, David. What do you think? So, I, yeah, it's disappointing when you don't see a Zadarov trade get pulled off when you hear about the, the the desire to get the two for, you know, two guys in a deal, right, that really will kind of solidify things. But, yeah, Mike and I talked about this on the podcast where – Zadorov, for what he is, is a third-pairing defenseman, right? He might, and I know that part of the issue is he wanted more ice time. This is a guy who's in a contract year, wants to, you know, make more money in free agency. And unfortunately, being played on the third pairing isn't going to help in the in the in that, you know, in that negotiating power when you become a free agent. But you have to look at the player for what he is. And unfortunately, the Leafs, their cap structure does not allow for them to have a defenseman making close to $4 million play on your third pairing. Nope. Right? 
Tanev, the reason why he's a good fit is he is a top four guy and he's making, you know, a reasonable cap hit. Unfortunately, a reasonable cap hit for most teams isn't really reasonable for the Leafs. And that's just the way their cap structure is. Uh, you know, Tanev, as I think Elliot Friedman said, you know, it's this isn't just you're getting a guy for the rest of the year. Brad Living really likes Tanev. And this would be uh, get this guy and see if we can keep him around. That is my preference for this Leafs team. At some point, I think Brad Living mentioned it, you know, kind of in that quarterly mark talk with the reporters where he says you can't trade your way out of problems. Well, you can if you trade for a guy and keep him around on the long fold, right? How I think Tanev would be that guy, to be honest. Tanev would be guy. I thought Luke Shen was going to be that guy. To be clearly, to be clear, when they traded, we wanted it to be like we wanted it to be because we thought this guy liked being here. He wanted to help this team finally get over the hump, kind of that second chance for him to really make things right with the you know live up to where he was drafted with this team and all that. Unfortunately, the offers were better out there for him. They, other teams were offering what would you have paid Luke Shen what he got? Not for three years. Like, you know what? Like, sometimes you have to, for a defenseman, especially a right shot defenseman, the issue is he played top pairing minutes when he was here. He was playing with Morgan Riley. So that boosted his negotiating power because the Leafs would then be like, yeah, we can give you this. But he's like, well, what am I going to, am I going to be a third pairing guy going forward? Or are you going to continue playing me where I was before? Right? There's the balance there in the negotiations. With Chris Tanev, um, you you kind of hope that you can bring him in and say this is your chance to win a cup, and you're also you try to try yeah. to lean on him being a hometown guy. Although it hasn't really worked out, it didn't work out with the Ryan O'Reilly uh, move at all. He didn't want to be here anyways. He yeah he made that abundantly clear that it wasn't oh, yeah. in his DNA to be in this media circus that is Toronto. Yeah, and and look for Chris Tanev. I think I mean he's been in Canada, so hopefully that and he's been in Vancouver. That's not an easy market to be in. Hopefully that that helps Leafs if they potentially go for a move like that. But I'm kind of sick of the we're going to trade picks, trade prospects and get a guy for just just for, you know, a few months. Let's let's now try to bring in guys, but then have a long term plan here, because we know this blue line does not have many like who's who's not a long term plan on that blue line. No. And that's that to me, you know. Yes, the Nylander stuff is important. Getting him signed is important. But you really need to think about what what makes you a championship team. It's not that you do your whatever you can to just keep four forwards around. It's getting Morgan Riley signed, which that contract, I know everyone hated at the time. It's not looking as bad right now when you consider the role Morgan Riley's playing. He's buzzing this year, by the way. Old Mo is back, man. Yeah, unless unless you're gonna find a way to go and get younger guys, or you you find some in some way, shape, or form, some of these young defensemen in your system start to show Need someone to pop. They can do. You're, the Leafs are in a really tough pickle right now, where they don't like. That's why the Klingberg move. I understood what they were trying to do with it. It's just they went with the wrong <laughs> with the yeah. wrong player, right? That's, they should have got Dumba. I'm saying it. Yeah. They should have spent that money on Dumba, brought him in, and who knows? Maybe right now we're we're looking at a top four of Riley, Brody, McCabe, Dumba. Doesn't that already sound better? 
and then you go down the list and say whatever, whoever you want to put where, because they've been playing guys on their offhand anyways. So it doesn't much matter what you do. Um, but yeah, nah, listen, there's going to be a deal here. And the one thing that I was saying when it came to Zadorov and Tanov was the Leafs may also have been in that conversation saying, what can we offer as well to have a negotiating window here to be able to see if we can get some extra years on these guys that we're bringing in because it is important to us, you know, and that could have been another sticking point. That was a problem where they're saying, well, not only do you want retention, but now you want a window and now you want this. And it's just so much things that you got so many balls in the air. You got to figure it all out. And they're like, no, nah, this is too much. This is too much for two guys to figure out. And I listened to Craig Conroy on, he was on flames talk literally almost right after the Zadorov trade happened. And he made it known that they value the retention spots. You only get three. You want to make the, make the most out of it. And are you going to maximize your return on a Zadorov? Or are you going to try to maximize your return on other things? If you decide that Tanev isn't the only one that you're looking at moving, is there a potential where you can offload other guys you need that salary retention spot yeah. and it's not there and you're, you're missing out on a potential deal that way. And I think that's what also obviously played into it. And again, you know, Vancouver clearly said to themselves, we'd rather spend the cap on a Zadorov rather than a Beauvillier. They had that yeah. option. The Leafs, other than, you know, getting Klingberg's number off the books, there isn't a guy that you say, yeah, we'll trade this guy to get our go to Chicago to get crap relief. There, there isn't like yeah. it's not like the Leafs have other than like Klingberg and Reeves. Is there a bad contract on this team that you want to trade and get nothing back? Everybody to me so far, like beginning of the season, we were all hard on Burton Domi. Right now, everybody so far is pulling yeah. their weight and doing what they need to do, and everything's starting to gel and mesh and you know find its way. Yarn croak even a lot of people were on his back early in the season that he should be out of the door. And then he started rolling and everybody's like, this guy's the most versatile player since Kerfoot. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, some of us have been saying that for a while because we know what he's worth. No, but I agree with you. There is no deal on this team that you look at and say, that's one where we can move it out. And if you say TJ Brody, please pack your bags and walk out the door. And, and don't say John Tavares. Oh my. Don't we ragged on him a little bit tonight, guys, but dollars. John Tavares is a point per game guy. At his age, and by the way, I think he's still one point away from 1,000 in his career. The guy is uh, hes born to be a made-believe man. He can handle the media, handle the pressure, and he's here. But speaking of handling the pressure and being here, are the Leafs just a wild-card team this year, or are they going to hit that stride and end up being in the three or two hole again? In the Atlantic, we all assume that Boston – isn't going to mightily stumble out of that spot. Uh, looks like Tampa is taking a stumble right now, but is it in your opinion, where are the Leafs? Are they a wild card team, which may be different for them, different experience, or will they be in their regular two or three hole? Personally, I think if the team makes a deal and improve and this blue line gets better, I still think they're in a position to compete in the Atlantic. What, it, it all depends on the defense and goaltending because they have the forwards to compete with anyone in the NHL. Yep. It's just, do they have, can this blue line in goaltending figure itself out? Now, it looks like the goaltending is fine. I'm not saying the goaltending is not fine. It's just over the long term, can Joseph Wall be the guy? 
And all right, now can that blue line get to a point where you can say we can compete with this night in, night out? That to me is the only thing that's keeping me from saying this team is for sure in the Atlantic conversation. I still think they are. I think, yeah, Tampa, that's a tough situation, but they are, they are such a veteran team. They'll, they'll stay in it. Florida is not showing any signs of slowing down. And, and that to me, them and Boston haven't really taken that step back. Yeah. Boston lost a few games, but they still hold a pretty decent lead because, you know, they get, they get, they don't go on bad stretches like the Leafs did when they lost yeah. four in a row. Right. And to me, that's where I think the Leafs have to decide at some point, are you going to be a playoff team? It's, are, we, are they going to make the improvements in the areas that they need to improve it to be consistently good enough to challenge a Boston or Florida for one of those, you know, or you no, know, even in some ways, Tampa to be a top three team. Yeah. I, I look at it like this. I think Tampa may be the team to take the stuff back. We talked about it earlier in the season, a lot of dark clouds with this team and Stamco stuff. Obviously you're looking to see your guy, um, Andre Vasilevsky bounce back and be healthy. The depth for the Tampa Bay Lightning isn't the same as it always has been. So that's another thing that comes into it this year. Can they dig themselves out of holes? Can they find ways to win games like they used to when they had a deeper lineup? Um, but I look at Florida. I'm one that said they would take a step back with some of the players they lost. Um, but they look like they're still striding just along just fine. Um, Detroit has made some noise. And then Boston. We don't know what the real Boston is. They went on a three-game losing streak. We don't know. The Leafs pushed them to the brink. So, you know, maybe there is chinks in that armor that really could start being picked away at and opened and exposed and really, you know, take a run at them. You know, knock them off their their high horse, so to speak. And, the you know, the Leafs might be one of those teams to do it. But we have to see where things shake out. And this is the time of year where things start to really settle in. And I think Detroit, for me, will be a team that will – drop down Tampa I think will stay where they are and I think it'll be for me running like this it'll be probably Toronto Florida and Boston in some sort of combination right now I'm more or less saying Toronto will will make their way into third and play Florida in the first round which may be some tasty retribution come playoff time if the Leafs can figure out that back end yeah, and, and we know that if you're going into a seven-game series with Florida, you got to be ready to compete each and every night. And, and to be, yeah, you can improve the blue line, but if your top players aren't going to bring that competitive edge that they brought in that Bruins game, we saw that. Yep. But that's got to be consistent each and every game. If they played like that every single night, they'd be world beaters. Yeah. They would be. So. All Mark was really good in that game. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he was. And you know, the Leafs can't the Leafs have to that's that's the effort. That that to me right there, look, Austin Matthews, when he was on the ice, I think the Leafs like outshot Boston like thirteen they had outchance like thirteen or four, something like that. Like it was like it was no there was no doubt that Austin Matthews was one of the better players on the ice. Yeah, Pasanar was good, but Austin Matthews controlled the game when he was on the ice more so i think that's that's what you need to see from this leafs team if you want if you envision them being a top team in the atlantic and look the atlantic's the boston hasn't i'm still convinced boston hasn't taken it over yet 
Unfortunately, losing games like this doesn't help your chances, but over the long run, I think the Leafs still have a chance to to catch them, but they got to start building up some consistent play. Yeah, they really just need to get that down. And I mean, it, it comes down to systems. It comes down to who's going to be in the lineup on the back end. I think once they finally sort that out, you will really see this team hit stride. But David, I always want to say thank you, man, for jumping on with us. And I'll say this. If you have not listened or have not tuned in or have not subscribed, make sure you check out Locked on Leafs. They are a daily Leafs podcast. You get your Leafs news there. You got Mike DiStefano and our boy David Morissuti on there every day, breaking down everything that's Leafs. I listen to them every single day. They are my carpool buddies, even if they don't know it. But David, I appreciate you always making the time, my man. Always appreciate it, James. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, you know what it is around here. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. (laughs) 